Hello, I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, the podcast that converses World with the World War II gave us writing for Godot and Oklahoma. Without the arts, we are diminished. We had the kind of creative freedom. I was, I was on television as a child, and then I had I was in Cotty's happy hour. She leaned across to me and she said, one day, you know, you'll be doing that. Mind-boggling. They were even lined with purple leather. Uh, I went to the ABC and auditioned. I was so fit at the end of that, you could have ended me in the Melbourne Cup. I And I still firmly believe that great work can be made in small places. If nobody's going to respect your talent, you've got to respect it. I hope I've been entertaining, that's all. Well, that's very kind of you, Peter. But you are a friend. <laughs> and as are you. Yeah, it's a date. <laughs> it's a date. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and welcome to this episode of The Stages Podcast. My guest today is actor and theatre photographer David Hooley. Successfully capturing the energy and aesthetic of stage performance is key to communicating a production to a potential audience. Marketing departments use these images to accompany review and promotion of their theatrical fare. The ability to compose an image while appreciating the intricacies of performance rests on the talent of a photographer who recognises that a moment is paramount. David Hooley has amassed considerable stage images informed by a career as an actor and an understanding of where those moments may exist in performance. He is also adept at allowing actors to present their authentic self in the construction of the essential headshot used to promote their viability for a gig. It is a fascinating and essential role in our industry Stages was delighted to feature this art form in this episode with David Hooley. David Hooley, welcome to the Stages podcast. Oh, thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Yeah, I've wanted to chat to you for a while because, you know, you're, you're a performing artist and a visual artist in your own right. Um, but and we'll talk about both today. But um, I'm curious to learn more about the art of the theatre photographer. And that's something that you've been doing for, for quite a while now. It is. Um, I actually, it's interesting because like when I was looking into getting into a job, the industry and all that sort of stuff, I I was, I guess, a little bit apprehensive about being an actor. I mean, having having a Chinese father who's very like, you know, you, you go, get a, go get education and then go get a job that you can, you know, that will earn you money and stuff like that. I was like, well, I should probably look at like, I guess, stage management or like something <laughs> else. And um, I was working as like a, 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 like a, you know, an amateur stage hand and stuff like that getting experience and playing around with um all that sort of stuff and one of the guys that was like one of the stage managers of of, of the area was a guy called bob siri who is actually the guy that does the photographs at the new theater here in sydney yes indeed and um yeah and uh he i'd always sort of played around with cameras and stuff like that and it was a thing that i sort of enjoyed and he sort of i guess sort of guided me into that and it was funny because one time I was asked by um, a theater company to photograph their show just randomly. And I was like, you don't even know who I am. Uh, and I said to Bob, um, you know, I, I, I only have my little crappy little plastic, you know, camera and my, my dad's old AE one that he'd given me to start off with both manual film cameras. And he went, okay, fine. Why don't you borrow my gear? And he handed me two Canon ones you know the old film ones but still yep. top of the line gear plus lenses plus all the the bits and bobs 
and that was kind of my first introduction into into theater photography and that was at the age of i think 17 at the time the photographs to do with the production uh obviously used for promotion um to, to entice audiences to come come and see the show that that you photographed but also they're they're a really important historical pictorial record aren't they of of what took place oh 100 percent. i i think that's and it's interesting because you know being being a performer is kind of contradictory to that concept you you know that's that's performing a, a history and then as the photographer you want to capture that history and sort of you know freeze it in a single instance um but yeah it is it is imperative and it's so wonderful to look back on you know to have that that record of of the changing styles not just in terms of musicality but the way that costumes were made how they were designed in in what styles and even seeing how the um the styles of the day like if you watch an 80s production there are very 80s aspects in terms of fashion to even productions like Les Mis the hairstyles are a little bit different um so it, it's 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 a wonderful um record not only of theater but also of history of time yes theater by its nature is ephemeral um it's there and then it uh, it's gone yeah uh, it exists for the time that you're watching it but if you can capture um a series of images to to jolt our memory of either we're in it or whether we saw it then then that's uh, that's fantastic i would much rather look at a series of photographs of a production than a video recording of a production really yeah. why is that why is that well, I, I think because theatre is such a live experience and uh, it's so exciting when you're there. I mean, it's it loses so much when you're watching that, that video reproduction of the... Um, obviously, I see what are, you mean, yeah. They're at your National Theatre Live now and, and Grant Doble with his Australian Theatre Live. Um, they were, they're performing live performances with multi-cameras and, and all that sort of thing, and it's excellent. But, um, yeah, I think... Images speak. I guess, more. yeah. I guess it. I guess it leads the imagination more. It sort of says, you know, I, I, how I wonder how it was done. You can sort of fill in the blanks and see, you know, the costumes and the, and the way that they're gesticulating, the way that their face is expressing, and sort of fill in the blanks on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 an interesting thing because I'm I'm noticing a lot nowadays, in terms of promoting shows, video is the four, uh, and it's it's an it's an interesting sort of position to be in because photographs are so important in terms of publicity in terms of documenting and stuff like that but the 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 modernist in me is going no no, no we must go forward with the times um and it's interesting that what you say about about liking liking photographs more than video and i i think you can make a statement with a photograph mm. with video you kind of get a, a feeling of what the show will be like and you know this is you know them doing a high kick and them doing a you know a turn and stuff like that but a photo really sort of gives this I think photo, photography by its nature is freezing one single moment in time and I, I feel like you can do so much more with that so I, I, I'm interested to see where publicity people go from here in regards to that. There's the old saying a picture paints a thousand words. Exactly. What, what what do you aim to achieve in the photographs that you take? Well, what do I aim to achieve? Um, getting the best damn photographs I could possibly get. Um, I. It's it's interesting because there's there's two different sort of mindsets 
that that you go in as a photographer first of all is you go in saying i want to take pretty photographs you know you go in and you go i want to have the one that looks fantastic that makes the actor look amazing and as an actor i want other actors to look good i want them to have that photograph to look back on because i know how important it is to me um you know but at the same time like when you walk into the bigger productions especially ones that are transferred from say broadway or from west end they hand you a shot list and they say we want these ones recreate this and so and also you know they'll give you a list of things like we want this character and this character together you know if you can get something like that if you can get this character and this character you know i want one of him holding this prop um and so there's a lot of of sort of uh i, I guess it, where it kind of takes the magic it's very sort of um technical in terms of of what you want to get out of it so as the photographer, I just want sexy photographs, really, at the end of the day. I want it to be, look pretty and amazing. Um, but as a, as a professional, I have, to, I have to do what my client wants. And, you know, sometimes they want something that is not necessarily my favorite photograph. That's fascinating. You know, we often hear actors talk about, you know, doing the Australian production of a, a franchise which has existed on Broadway or, or in the West End and uh, feel uh, constrained by having to move from, you know, that particular point to that particular point on that particular yeah. line because, you know, they are reproducing a production with, with the Australian cast. But, but it's interesting to see that it even goes down to, to, to publicity departments with giving you a, a shot list to attempt to sort of reproduce those moments to, that yeah. they understand will sell the show. Well, this is, I mean, it's the old adage, it's show business. Mm. At the end of the day, you know, this is a business, it has to make money. And it's kind of like McDonald's. Do you know what I mean? You, you cut and paste and you just put it everywhere exactly the same. A couple of deviations to sort of work with the locals, but really you're going with a, with a, a product that has been tried, it's been tested. If you're thinking about Broadway productions, they've gone to out-of-town tryouts. They've gone through many versions to get to Broadway. Even when they're on Broadway, they're constantly being adapted. The publicity is adapting with what the market wants. And so, you know, they, when they do arrive in Australia, which is usually three, four, five years after they open on Broadway, they've kind of got it sorted. They know what's going to work. They know the images that are going to sell the production. And it's, it's unfortunate that we are so far away in terms of geographical you know, location, but also in terms of where theatre goes, we are so far away that we kind of exist at this point where everything is kind of set in stone. There is no, there is no growth left, really, or little, little growth left um, for, for Australian performers and for Australian creatives. Mm. You photographed the big commercial shows that we, we've been talking about in the last couple of minutes, but also the Fringe productions as, as well. I guess with the Fringe, you are uh, able to maybe attend a few times previews and, and photograph address rehearsal or, or something, whereas the big commercial shows is attending a media call. Oh, uh, no, it's, it's completely the opposite. Um, right. with, with independent shows um, and with new shows and things like that, uh, there is so little money and so little time in them that you have one opportunity. Right. You, it's usually a dress rehearsal and sometimes I've been to dress rehearsals where the lights aren't plotted properly, where costumes haven't been properly finished, where the blocking hasn't been done in the last scene and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it's, it's very much, you have one opportunity, go for it, capture whatever you can 
and then we'll find something that will promote it also because it's never been done before in that sort of arena we don't have that uh, that, that tried and tested you know uh, promotion construct um whereas on the major musicals like i was given two productions uh, two shows to shoot um when i did pippin this year and you know that uh, admittedly at the end of the day i only got one but it was it was scheduled to have two because they work out that they have x amount of dress rehearsals before they get to previews there's more time there's more money there's you know and and it, it doesn't it's no skin off their teeth the, the photographer is there for two shows and they also have more money to pay me um so yeah it, it is counterintuitive because uh, because of the, the 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 money and the time, you are afforded more more preparation time. Because I can do the first the first run and go, well, I buggered up that one. I didn't get that shot. You know, that one's blurry because you look at them in between the two shows, and you go, okay, I need to go back. I need to get that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. Which means the second show, it's a lot less stressful because you just sort of go, all right, which one is okay? That moment, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, click. And I know exactly what settings I need to have the camera on because I've done it before. And it's so much easier. Are you able to uh, get yourself into all sorts of nooks and crannies, uh, the wings and all that sort of thing? Or does everything have to be photographed from out front? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I found that, I mean, I think it goes along with that um, pre-prescribed um, Broadway aesthetic. Um, but they really sort of want you to shoot from the front. Really, pardon me, from, from a very particular sort of angle, very frontal, very square on. Um, I, 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 it's interesting because like the production shots for Come From Away, which I didn't do, I don't know who photographed them, uh, here, uh, here in Melbourne. Um, but they are shot, I think they're posed because there's one shot where they're all on stage and the photographer is clearly on a stepladder overlooking the stage. Um, so I, I think it depends on the production and it depends on the vibe of the show. And I, I think Come From Away is a much more organic sort of uh, personable show it's far less sort of corporate um, and and commercial as as some as some shows can be so I think it would depend but the in terms of like independent theater um, there, there aren't wings you know <laughs> you've got you've got the length of the room and you sort of mm. run backwards and forwards and hope you can get the best shot mm-hmm so what what are the the tools of your trade? What what would you take along to a media call or, or just photograph a production? Um, media a calls. So yeah, a media call is is really quick. That's a completely different beast um, to doing production shots. Um, you have so much more time in production shots to sort of settle in. Whereas with a media call, you're given usually two numbers, and they're done through once, maybe twice if you're lucky. And so you set the camera. I, I have two cameras, um, Canon Mark, uh, sorry, Canon 5D Mark IV for any of the tech nerds listening. Um, and I, I have one on each shoulder. I've got the, re- the standard straps. I don't have any of the funky things that some people have. Um, and I sort of go, I've got a telephoto on one and a slightly wider telephoto uh, on the other so that I can kind of get wider images and then close-ups. Um, and in media calls, because it's so quick, you basically put it on, uh, the fastest sort of, you know, uh, the, the amount of times the camera can take photographs, uh, in, in one depression of the, the shutter. So you put it finger down on the shutter, it goes, um, you sit it on that setting and basically you just go mental. 
and hope that you capture something and hope that you've got your settings right and all that sort of thing. But in, in, in doing production shots, um, I will often dump one camera and just run around with my other camera um, because depending on the theater and how close you are to the performance, uh, sometimes only one camera is necessary because you don't need a telephoto lens that's more than 100 mils. Um, and other times when you're in the larger theaters, you know, there's only so many shots of the entire stage that they want. Most of the shots they want close up. They want to see two people in an embrace. They want to see someone jumping in the air and stuff like that. So telephoto is kind of the way to go. Um, but I, I know from, from experience to talking to other, other photographers that basically what, what a lot of the older guys will do is put the, the cameras on tripods and just sit in the middle of the theater and don't move. <laughs> Uh, and in fact, when I, I, I did my, when I did Pippin, um, I was running around because they, they said to me beforehand, look, if you've got a moment, can you get some weird angles? And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll try. And I ran around like a banshee, um, sweating like a pig. And at the end of it, the, um, one of the producers came up to me and said, I have never seen a photographer move so much during a show. And I was like, well, that's what you that's what you get, you know. <laughs> I'll take that compliment. You get the psycho photographer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we're aware of um, the giants in the various fields of, you know, costume design, set design, performers, directors, etc. Are there any rock star theatre photographers that 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 you follow, that you're aware of, that you look up to? Honestly, um, no. This is the thing. Like, I, it's so interesting. Right, so I... I Sorry, I mean, there obviously, obviously are. I mean, I know Cameron McIntosh has used the same photographer for many years, and I guess it's such a niche uh, field. It is, and and there are there are I think three or four photographers in in the country really that are the high end music theatre. Like, there's only a couple of people that 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 um, GFO or um, or Michael Castle will use, and they find one person, they stick with them because you know tried and tested. If you get a production shot and it looks good, they will hire you again because it's not worth the risk of going out on a limb um you know but they're not they're kind of i, I guess anonymous you know in a, in a way we don't really um or at least in 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 my my experience we don't really sort of hold photographers up in the same way that they do in in america or, or the united kingdom um and I, I, I haven't met any of these guys. I've talked to one or two of them on the phone, but I've never met them. Um, and it, it's interesting in terms of like looking up to them from, from my perspective, because of that anonymity, like I, I, I never really looked for it. And also for the fact that like I, photography for me is kind of like my acting. I don't actually idolize actors. I don't look up at people and go, oh my God, I just wish I could, you know, be there or see yeah, them or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I never did that with photographers either. Yeah, it's a job. Yeah, yeah, really, at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah. Um, you, you are an actor, um, yes. as you say. Um, <laughs> as the photo did you have you fallen into photography, do you think, and then it's taken over a little bit, or are you managing to find a balance with the two of them? Well, it's it's interesting because I, I think that it swings backwards and forwards depending on admittedly my acting career to me comes first, you know, cause at the end of the day, that's, it's my passion. It's my obsession. It's, it's my life. Um, and photography was, it's, it, it's really interesting because I kind of do my two hobbies 
as a profession. Uh, and so I, I, I have, I, I'm very obscene, insanely lucky that I have that. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I sort of jump backwards and forwards depending on, on the weather. Like if I get a job in a the theater, then I, of course I can't do shows cause I'm working at night and rehearsing during the day and stuff like that. And, but you know, I, I try and balance it as much as possible because, and this is interesting. I remember when I was at Whopper, um, I, we had a guy come in, I cannot for the life of me remember who it was, but he was talking about having something to pay your bills because acting, even if you are so successful, will never fill the whole of your bank account. Mm. And so he said what he did, and this is, this is a guy, and I remember he was, I remember he was a Helpman award winner. He'd worked on Broadway. He'd worked on West end. Um, and he said, what I do is that I have a band. And we do gigs on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. You do two, three gigs a week. And that's my rent pay. That's all my bills. I'm, I'm set. I'm cool. Any show I get, any advert I get, and anything like that is sort of cream on the top. Um, and that, that uh, many years ago now, I, that kind of hit me. I'd, I'd sort of sloughed that off as like, oh, no, no, I'll be famous, of course, because when, you, you know, when you're 20, you're going to be famous. You're going to be on Broadway. You're going to be a superstar. Um, but I, I got to that point and I was like, oh shit, I actually have to, oh, I've got bills now. I actually have to pay them. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like a, it was a happy, happy accident that I was able to make money off that. Actors are, are artists, but they're effectively a small business as well. Aren't they? And yes, you, absolutely. You have, to, you have to manage yourself like that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's interesting because like, I mean, what I was saying before, the, the old adage that it's show business, I think that a lot of people forget that at the end of the day, that that as, as much as we love to be artistic and have that sort of creativity and that sense of freedom to do things, that at the end of the day, there are very tight constraints, even in the most independent of theater, um, is, is constrained by budgets, by, by rehearsal time limits and all that sort of stuff. And you have to conform to that. And you have to be willing to adapt very quickly to a to, to what can be very changing uh, environments, but also adapt yourself from production to production because one production may say to you, okay, look, you have, you know, four weeks of rehearsal, go for it. And, you know, don't worry about what's in the script, just go for it. And then there's some people that will be like, you know, like you were saying before in, in high-end musical where you will stand there, you will say it exactly as this actor said it on Broadway and two, three, four step handout, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's, it's, I, and and not, I mean, but not only that, in terms of being a little cutthroat in terms of your, in terms of your income and in terms of how much you're worth, finding out what you're worth. And I mean, going back into my photography work, that is, that is the greatest challenge that I have faced is working out how much to charge, how much I'm worth. Yeah. And, and it's an ongoing thing, you know, because sometimes and, and it, there's a lot of doubt because, as I say, there's such a diversity in theatre in, in Australia in terms of budgets that you can say one price to somebody and they'll laugh at you. And then you say the pr same price to another person and they go, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. And vice versa. You, you know, so it, you can't sort of you can't keep everyone happy. Another facet of your photography is uh, the, the actor's headshot which is a, a yes. very important part of their, their self-promotion. Um, you know, the, the 10 by eight, which uh, is featured in publications <laughs> like Showcast or hangs on the, the agent's publications. wall. 
Yes. Doesn't happen anymore, public, mate. Yes, what is no a public printer? <laughs> that told you how long how long since I had to have a headshot done. Uh, <laughs> how do you put um, an actor at ease to so that they look like their authentic self, um, and so that you can capture that? Because it takes takes a bit of um, chutzpah to really feel relaxed in front of a camera and to treat it as look into those lenses as if they're another person and not be so yeah. have the fear of God in you. Face. It's so interesting because, like, I, I mean, actors are, you know, extroverted human beings. And yet you put them in front of a, a, a camera and suddenly they're like, oh, I'm, I just I don't know what to I don't know what to look. I don't know what to say. What do you want me to do? How should I stand? I'm going to stand with my hands, you know, fossy and all some stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it's such an interesting thing that 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 is blanket across the board. No human being apart from I'm sure absolute narcissists love like at all to have their photograph taken. And all of them feel awkward because when you put someone in that situation, it's not just you're getting a photograph taken. It's that there's, I mean, the way I do it, I have studio flashes. So you've got this great big soft box above them that's beaming light into their face. And then it flashes every so often and there's a click and then something comes up on my screen and I go, Hmm, Hmm. Mm, mm. you know and they go is that good is that good i'm like oh, no no no, it's fine it's fine it's just my lighting i just have to get it right it's nothing to do with you um but it, what i like to do is i will say look the first the first 20 30 frames just don't even worry like i'm just gonna i'm getting i'm getting my lighting big inverted commas um and strangely enough sometimes that's when you get the shot because yep. they think you're not taking a photograph yeah um but i i think more than anything else I like to banter with people. I think once you get a rapport going and banter and stuff like that, people relax and they sort of chill out a bit more. And um, and also once they get used to that that sound of the pop of the flash going and of of you know all of the crap around them, you just sort of acclimatize after a while. So really, the, the most important thing in in my repertoire is time. I try and spend time with people so that they feel relaxed. And then, of course, there's, uh, I mean, I have watched a couple of, you know, I've done some study in terms of how to how to work, you know, headshots and stuff like that. And there are some interesting things. One of the one of the interesting thing that, that, that got me actually came from a friend of mine. And because the eyes, you know, are the gateway to the soul and mm. every photograph, you have to have something going on in the eyes, you know, so you have to you have to think about something. And, um, you know, I say to them, look, you can you can think about, you know, asking me for a job you can think about you know i'm amazing i'm amazing i'm amazing over and over again um but someone someone once said to me that they knew an actress um that she said every time she was asked to do like you know those you know like a home and away where they do just before the ad break there's that stare off into the distance of yes, shock yes. and amazement and she was saying da, every da, time she da. did that yeah exactly exactly <laughs> back after these messages um but every time she'd do that she would make a pained face and then count backwards from a thousand. And the mental arithmetic, the mental sort of gymnastics of doing that is enough to kick something through the eyes and put wow. energy behind them. Yeah, so it's interesting because there's, and, and different will work for different people because some people are more emotional and more able to, to sort of, you know, think through things and some people just need downright tricks. Yeah, yeah. Well, those great um, celluloid actors, you know, they, they know exactly how to sort of pull their light and make a thought and let the camera do Absolutely. all the acting for them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was, I was in a class once. Oh, yeah, I remember. And, and I, um, 
<laughs> we were talking about finding our light. And uh, the teacher said, like David, and pointed over to me. And I was standing in this perfect shaft of light, you know, just completely subconsciously. And I was like, well, I guess, I guess I've got it. Beam me up, Scotty. Yeah, exactly. So I guess you don't need to venture into a dark room anymore. Is, is photography now all oh. a digital format? Or? Well, funny, funny you should say that. I, I, came, I, I have been gifted in, in an amazing fashion a, a medium format um, Hasselblad, you know, the old, like the studio ones that they used to use, yeah. like, you know, Austin Power uses and stuff like that. Um, so, the, so that you look at into the lens from above, is that right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's, it's 12 shots and that the, the film itself costs like 20 bucks a roll and it's another 20 bucks to develop, no prints, just to develop it. So you're talking about 40, 50, 60, 80 bucks a roll. It's, it's an expensive undertaking, but I have, <laughs> I have done it. Um, and I am trying to keep it up because it is it is a skill that kind of just hones those those technicalities of photography that that just I think make you a just a little bit better at it to remind yourself of the complexities of it rather than putting it on auto and just pressing the button. But in in terms of like the the new technologies, it's it's incredible because like I I, I was always a, a photographer that would shoot for the image. You know, you, you, I, I shot for film, you know, when I started off. And so you didn't, you had 24 to 36 shots and that was it. You know, if, if you ran out of film, you were screwed and you were sitting in a theater and going, well, I've missed all the big bits. Um, so I, I, I learned to wait for the moments and click. Whereas now I'm much more likely to just rattle them off and I'll, I'll shoot 2000 frames in a, in a, in a, in a shoot and doing a production shots. Um, and so that's the amazing part of digital is that freedom to and that safety of of knowing that you can keep going and it doesn't matter you just pop the the chip out you've got another 2000 frames at your disposal and you just stick them into a machine and you know twiddly twi twiddly d and you and you can cull them out and get the best ones and then in terms of like headshots like photoshop and lightroom afford you such leeway you you can do anything and so a person comes in you know and and says you know i'm getting headshots and see this this spot here you know i i feel really bad have you got any makeup that i can put on there and i'm just like oh don't worry i'll get rid of it and post it's so easy you know back in the day when it came on film you just you were what you rocked up as mm. um and you know my first headshots were on were on film and uh you know it, it's it affords so much freedom and and safety for not just the photographer, but for the actor, because you don't have to have that added stress of being perfect on the day. If you're a little bit flushed and a little bit red, I can get rid of that. You know, just bring the reds down and we're all good. And you look, you look like your happy, normal self. Brilliant. When you're taking 2000 shots in one hit, what's the cleanup like? Because, you know, I just take a, a few shots on my uh, iPhone and all of a sudden it's on the cloud, it's on my computer, it's everywhere. And, you know, if you don't sort of clean up regularly, delete what you don't need, you can be drowning in photographs. Oh, 100%. And I shoot raw. So each one of my frames, you know, is is huge in terms of file size. Um, a lot of data in it, which is good for, for post-production. Um, but I... It's interesting because I, I basically I go through and I pick all in terms of my independent stuff. I'll go through and pick the good ones, 
because out of maybe four, five, 600 frames, they're only going to take like 10 or 15 of them. And if I give them 200, then they'll be happy. Uh, so I pick the best ones, but in, um, but like you basically have to go through and you pick the best ones and then just delete the rest. There's, there's no point in keeping them because I have, I've got, you know, three, four terabyte hard drives and, you know, and I have to have doubles of everything just in case I lose stuff or something breaks. So it's, it's, it is an inordinate amount of, uh, amount of space that you need these days to store stuff. However, it's better than having 400,000, you know, negatives lying about the place. How do you uh, select the ones which are good? I mean, if I'm looking through the phone, it's a, it's, they stand out, don't they? They, they, they tell you if they're good. They're, they separate themselves from the other images there. Yeah, 100%. You, you, it's interesting, like I was, we were talking about before in terms of capturing a moment. Yeah. It's not about the photo necessarily. It's about the moment. Yeah, yeah. And it, any photo that is going to be useful in promotion will grab the eye immediately. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so like I, but I, I'll go through and, you know, out of, a, out of a full production, I can easily pull out 20 really damn good images. They'll only ever use four of them. Hmm. But, you know, but because of this, uh, of this ability to continually take photographs, you know, to take so many photographs, you're just going to capture those moments. The skill comes in, in, like I was saying, I think what what makes me a half decent theater photographer is not just what I was saying before about waiting for the shot, because there's that patience of waiting for that moment to arrive. It's also understanding as an actor when that's going to arrive. You know, the, especially in music theater, you, you watch a show and there's there's this sort of drive to a moment you can hear the music swelling you can hear and, and you know technically as an actor that that person's moving there and that person's moving there which means something's going to happen over there so while all the photographers that i'm working with in media calls are looking at the left of stage i'm looking at the right of stage because i know something's about to happen over there and so it, it, those that's the skill in 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 capturing the moments but yeah when you when you look at a photograph it just it, as you say it just speaks to you it just says I'm a good one. Put me away for later. David, what are the images which speak to you from your youth, from your childhood? Because you seem to be a child of the globe, having spent some time in Scotland <laughs> and Hong Kong. And uh, yes. are, are, there, are there visuals that you recall from, from living in those places? Oh, um, oh God. Um, yeah. In terms of ones that I've taken, or ones that I sort of like, just in general, sort of popular, sort of general just, just culture, general general culture, etc. Because um, you wouldn't. What? How old were you when you got your first camera? Oh God, I was, um, I think, twelve or thirteen, um, and that was that was at a time in Hong Kong of of sort of great shift. Um, you know, you, you've got the handover of Hong Kong, you've got the, the, the leaving of the British from their guardianship, ownership, whatever, of, of Hong Kong. And, and there was a real transformation in that time. Um, like, but it, it's, it's interesting because I, I don't... 
it's it's okay. It's interesting because I I didn't I I haven't got images in my head that I can be like, oh, I remember this image, for instance. Yeah. Um. It, it's it was more the images that I took, and where I was standing, and all those sorts of things. Because there is there is an experiential element to photography, that being there, and looking down the, the looking down the lens. And seeing what you're about to shoot, but at the same time acknowledging that you're standing next to it, because you have to remind yourself that you're standing next to a person that's got a burning, you know, stick or something like that. Because hmm. um, if you don't, you'll get hit by it. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's interesting because I, I do, I have a lot of memories of things like that through my lens, because I, I did a lot of like photographing of Kai Tak Airport, which is the old airport in Hong Kong just before it closed down. I went out with my friends and we took photographs of landing planes that were coming on through between the buildings and, you know, like they did in the old days. Um, but I mean, in terms of a, in terms of a wider scope, I think the one, as soon as you said, what image really grabbed you, do you remember there was a photograph of an Afghani girl, red shawl, green eyes on the, on the cover of national geographic. I do. Yeah. And she was a refugee girl. And it has since come out that they're not too happy that they took that photo and even less happy that they, you know, published it in the way that they did. But that image, I think, defined my concept on portraiture because it encapsulates so much that image. You've got a, a, a terrified young girl, but at the same time, it's not backward terror it's very defensive terror she's incredibly strong incredibly powerful those green eyes are so counterintuitive to what we what we imagine when we think of someone from afghanistan or anybody who isn't european that that very bright green eye and then of course the colors and the rest of it are beautiful but it, it that that is one of the photographs from my youth that i think back on as being an absolute like that's an absolute um What's the word? Uh, that's had such an effect on on how I take photographs. A catalyst. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting you say that uh, you can recall places that you were when you were taking photographs. Um, you know, the photographer obviously has an album in their own head of those locations, and I guess it's similar to, you know, a song can take us to, or a piece of music can take us to a particular place and time. You know, the first time we heard that song or whatever. So too yes. can a photograph especially if you've taken it. Absolutely. Um, and it's so interesting because uh, sort of linking back towards the acting thing, one of the things that I have always loved doing is that every time I'm in a production, I take my camera along with me and I document backstage. And it started off as just a thing that I did for fun. And then as the years went by, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to, I'm going to do this more seriously. I'm going to actually commit myself to this and, and try and document what I'm seeing. And it, it's, it's amazing because I think for, for my personal, you know, it's, it's lovely for me, but I, I also love handing over those memories to the other actors in the production because they go, Oh shit, I forgot about that moment. Mm. I remember we did that silly thing. And you know, people people have their iPhones out so much now that they, you know, sorry, their phones out so much now and people are taking lots of images, you know, but to have somebody who's just sitting slightly back from it all and waiting for moments to happen, just whips the camera out, click, doesn't say anything, puts it back. It's, it's not the big moments you're capturing. It's the little moments you're capturing, yeah. like someone just sitting in a corner reading a book. And and I, I have, I, I was, I, I love looking back on those images because they tell a story to me 
so much about my work generally speaking it's not just the photography it's the acting it's it's this it's the 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 community of of theater of of performing um yeah so i yeah i i i absolutely adore that aspect of of photography how did you hear about whopper and and how did, How did you come to be Whopper? at Whopper? Oh, Western Australian God. Academy of Performing Arts. Were you in Australia? Yes. Uh, I wasn't in Australia when I found out about Whopper. Um, I left home at 18, moved to Australia um, to attend NIDA, actually. Um, the acting I did, course? I, no, the singer-actor-dancer course run by Abigail right. Herman. Um, and interesting enough, that that course has spat out some very good performers. <laughs> it's like Elise McCann's come out of it, Nat Job, of course. Hayden um, T. Hayden T. Uh, Jeremy Ewart, Shannon Dooley, like it's uh, Simon Brooke McLaughlin. Like it's it's they're fantastic performers that have come out of that 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 um, thing. Um, actually, funny side story. Um, I I always said that I I wasn't a graduate of NIDA because it was a one year course. It was like you know I I didn't want to take anything away from the three year acting students because I know how. That's a big thing. That's a big deal to go through three years. Um, and then I was in a I was in a rehearsal room, which was actually like a library up in Neutral Bay, um, and there was some NIDA like graduate magazines. And I pulled it out, and I was flicking through it, and I got to this page, and it had all the graduates. And sure as anything, there's my name. And I was like, well, if NIDA thinks I'm a graduate, then damn, I'm a graduate. Uh, so I am a graduate of NIDA, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, I I had heard about Whopper just sort of on the grapevine. I mean, I, it's interesting. I, I don't even remember why I found out about NIDA or Whopper or VCA or anything like that. It was, they were just the schools that I'd heard of through people because I said, you know, where am I going to go in the world to go to drama school? And I went, well, were you I'm in Hong Australian Kong at this passport. time? You, yeah, I Hong was, yeah. I was, I was in Hong Kong. I was, you know, finishing high school and I was taught my, you know, my, my parents were helping me sort of look around at, at, at um, you know, where to go, what to do, because they knew I wanted to be an actor and they kind of couldn't stop me. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it just sort of came onto my radar. And interestingly enough, I actually was auditioning for all the acting courses. The music theater courses were kind of an afterthought. Um, and I, I had the first year in 2002, when I first auditioned for the drama schools, I only did the acting courses and the singer actor dancer course because I thought, you know, it's only a one year course. If I don't get in, I can use that. And I'd done a couple of musicals um, beforehand. Um, and I got into that. And then the second year around, I did all the things again, but I, I, I just ticked the, the music theater box in the Whopper uh, application form as well. And I was like, well, why not? And I got in first time. And uh, so, yeah, I found myself, I did one year at NIDA and then I was straight across to Whopper for three years. And it was, it's a, it's a great school. It's a really great school. I, I, I did enjoy my time there. Yeah. And Perth is a great city to, uh, to be in for those three years too, I think. It really is. I, it's interesting because I, I, I've been talking to a couple of people who are at drama school now and talking about their choices. And they were saying they didn't want to go to Perth because it was so far away and there was nothing to do. And I'm like, that's the point. Yeah. The reason the reason why Perth is so great is because you are removed from the industry and you are left, you sort of, I guess, ignored to a certain degree for three years to get better. Mm -hmm. And then you come back to Melbourne and Sydney and you go, Ta -da! and everyone goes, holy shit, you're good. 
And you go, yes, I've been studying for three years at Wabba. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, you know, apart from that, you've got, I mean, back, back when I was there, I, I, was, I had a two-bedroom house uh, alone for 165 bucks a week. And I just, I, I think about that now. It's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I like even, even now Perth has gone up, but it's still cheaper than, a lot cheaper than Sydney. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it is just the perfect place. And because everyone, I mean, most people in the course when I was there were from the Eastern States. And so everyone's away from home and it does, it, it makes you grow up quickly because you're away from your family, you're away from your friends. You have to, you have to be an adult. You have to go up and do, do the things that adults do, but also it bonds you in this really weird way. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's kind of like having brothers and sisters. Like yeah. you love some, you hate some, you'll oh, stay in touch with some, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're like family. They're always there and you see them and you go, ha ha ha, I've seen you naked. Um, you yes. know, <laughs> there's that, that shared experience of three years of, of what is extraordinary um, training every day. Um, and it, it's painful and it's teary and it's, joyful and it's it's every emotion under the sun um but because you 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 have that shared experience i think yes it, there is a certain um bond which is knitted between you all yes for better or for worse there is a bond yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your first gig when you graduated oh i i was so lucky i what we graduated we, we finished in on like november the 11th we toured to Melbourne and Sydney for showcase after that for two weeks. And then I had an audition for Fiddler on the Roof on like December 14th. And I got it. And so I was in rehearsals on January 5th or something like that the next year. So I, I you know, when we walked out, Stephen May was in my cast. Uh, he was in Miss Saigon before he graduated. Like he was accepted into Miss Saigon before he graduated. Um, and then I got, and I think Lucy was doing a show in Melbourne by the end of it. And it was like the three of us that just walked out and went shoom, off into the, off into the distance. Um, and it was just a, it was an astounding speed at which that happened. And to, to walk out and just keep going was, it had its mixed, you know, it had its goods and its bads, but yeah, it was a, it was a very, very quick afterwards. But Fiddler on the Roof, you're working with the great Topol, I imagine. I was working with the great Topol. Um, yes, they're wonderful. Yes, David, David, come here. <laughs> um, he, he was, it's so interesting. Like there's, um, there's again, like some people love him and some people hate him, but I, I, he was such a lesson to me. Um, he, we, we were the, I was there when he celebrated his 40th year in the role. Wow. It was ridiculous. And I, I, what made it weirder was when the first day of rehearsals, he rocked up and he had the script in his hand. And I was like, <laughs> surely, you know, this by now, surely, you know, this by now. Um, but he made it fresh every single night. He was in tears by the end of that show every single time. And it was, it was so intense to watch him work. And I mean, that, that for me was that, that striving in the rest of my career when I went forward was to, to maintain that quality across a run. Because mm. um, I, I think someone, someone said to me when I, before I graduated that you will learn more in your first show than you will from three years at drama school. 
And I think that's 100% true. The technical aspect, of course, you learn at, at drama school, but you learn so many tricks and, and trade secrets when you get into a show that are invaluable to being a, you know, a long-term performer. Yeah, so serving your apprenticeship um, in something like Fit yeah. on the Roof with Topol, oh. uh, how, how joyous. I mean, you've seen the film, obviously. I mean, I think that is one of the most extraordinary musical theatre performances in a film, Topol and yeah. Theatre on the Roof, that exists. Well, Sammy Dallas Bays, who was um, I, the one of the dancers in that film, was our resident director. You wow. know, so we literally wow. had the film in the room. It was incredible. Um, it, it, it was, yeah. But the, the the I actually haven't seen all of the movie. I've only seen bits of it, to be honest. Um, one of them, of course, being the the, the wedding scene, which is yeah. just absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's a glorious glorious show. But they, some, um, but they sometimes have it in cinemas. If you get a chance to see it in the cinema on the big screen, um, that's the way to experience it. I will. I will. Um, just in terms of like serving an apprenticeship and learning stuff, I, I, weird. It was such a weird thing. Um, I was an ensemble member and an understudy to Yakov, um, and uh, which is just one of the ensemble. Uh, sorry, no, sorry. I was Yakov. I'm sorry. I was Yakov, an, under, an ensemble member, understudy to Nachum the beggar. Sorry, let me get this right. Uh, who was played by Gary Ginnivan. And uh, I, I had that role and I was like, wait, I'm in a musical, I'm an ensemble member and I've got an understudy, this is the best thing ever. And opening night was Burswood Theatre in Perth. So I left Perth and came straight back to Perth, back to Perth. Uh, which was hilarious for, for, for in, in that regard. But also on opening night, everyone gets their program laid on their, on their dressing table. And this was my first show and I got this big colorful thing and of course there's no photos of me because it had been running for like two three years so i'm i sort of flicked past all the photographs of the of the people and i got to my name and it you know and it says david hooley yakov understudy uh Nachum the beggar and the fiddler and i went um sorry what and i sort of picked up the program and sort of gently walked out with it to the resident director and i was like um and I sort of gesticulated towards my name. And she turned to me and she went, oh, haven't they told you yet? And I was like, what do you mean they haven't they told me yet? And they said, oh, yeah, you're understudying the fiddler as well. Can you just, just have a look at him while you're going? No, no stress, but just have a look at what he's doing. And so I'm standing in the wings and tradition starts by Topol walking out, doing his thing. And then he grabs the hand of an ensemble member and then walks on stage and tradition starts. I was that hand. So I'm the first one of the ensemble to walk on on opening night. And I'm sitting there watching the freaking fiddler. I'm just like, what the hell is he doing? <laughs> and then suddenly this person just grabs my hand and off we go. And I'm, oh, it was terrifying. But it's that that thing of, of you know, expect the unexpected because people will hand you responsibilities at the drop of a hat and you sort of have to be prepared for that. Did you have to go on as the fiddler? I never, I have never gone on for any of my understudies ever. All right. Oh. I am the most unlucky understudy in history. And in fact, when I was swinging on spam a lot, I went on eight times in a year. It's like I, I, I don't go on. People that I understudy just don't get sick or broken. It's, it's very good, but also bad for me. Yeah. Spamalot, of course, fabulous show, um, which unfortunately didn't make it past Melbourne. No, um, it didn't. We had the great Billy Brown playing King Arthur. Yes. Um, and, and directed by Mike Nichols. Did Mike Nichols actually make an appearance in Australia? Were you able to sort of have any... Uh, interaction with him he, he made he made a digital appearance uh that's that was a weird one because like nowadays with zoom that's kind of acceptable that you know a director will just zoom in 
but in those days it was it was a whole deal i mean we had him for i think it was one rehearsal and they brought in an outside broadcast truck and three cameras and they set up and there was a 48 inch television lcd screen in the middle of the room where the director's chair should be and you'd do a bit of the show and then the the tv would flick on and there's mike you know hold on hold on hold on that's that's great you know (laughs) and then he'd give a bit of direction and then it would flick off again and you'd do a bit more and and he was on his couch at home in la and it was just it was like I mean, he was meant to come out, and it didn't work out at the end, unfortunately. But it was it was such a weird experience. I mean, I wasn't on stage because I was a swing, but like just watching it was weird enough. And this is before COVID. This is exactly, yeah, exactly. Bastard could have come. Uh, <laughs> David, are you superstitious in the theatre? I really am not, uh, and in fact, I got into trouble for that. Um, again, in terms of lessons, like uh, when I, 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 I'm not a superstitious man, generally speaking, and I'm even less so in the theater because I, I, I'm kind of of the ilk that just goes, you know, just, I mean, I, this is not to, to be offensive to anyone who is superstitious, but it's, it's kind of a case of you, you are responsible for yourself, do your job. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the, 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 the responsibility I put on myself. Um, but I was again in fiddler first show out and being a very arrogant cocky uh whopper grad um i you know was a bit full of myself and i was whistling in the dressing room one day and a couple of the chaps took great exception to that um because um you know the obvious and uh, i was told to leave the room and to be asked back in like the old tradition states and i basically told them to get you know, to jump. As you can imagine, the roof caved in on my head. Uh, and although I don't, I, I try not to play along with them. I now am much more respectful of people's superstitions because they are so varied and so diverse. Like some people like, you know, their sock has to be one up and one down. And, you know, you just have to accept that people need something to get them on stage. A lot of, you know, a lot of actors are very nervous. They're very anxious people. And they just, they just need a little bit of comforting. Yes. And that they invest so much into that little routine or. Yes, absolutely. And it becomes very special. It it is. I mean, it's interesting because we're such a a sort of a a non-religious sect of society that we've kind of created our own religion around things. You know, you don't say certain words, you, you know, you, you don't whistle in the theater and, you know, there's the ghost light and all that sort of stuff. So it, it is kind of, in a way, a religious belief and you have to respect it. It's, yeah. it's real to them. And so it is real. Yeah. Do you have a favorite place in, in a theater, in, in the wings, downstage center, the dressing room, the green room, stage door? <laughs> Oh look! If I had my if I had my druthers, it would be downstage center. Uh, downstage center. Um, <laughs> I, to be honest, it's interesting. I I just love being in a theatre. It doesn't matter whether it's whether it's as a I, I, as an actor. It's always as an actor. I love being in a theatre. But what I love doing before a show is just sitting on the stage and just just absorbing that. That kind of vibe that that because I mean they're all slightly deadened and you know you've got that really soft nature of a theater. Um, I just I love just 
being in theaters, no matter where it is, um, when, when nothing is happening and just, ex and just experiencing the theater. In fact, I, I had the, the absolute pleasure of um, studying at um, Shakespeare's Globe in London. Um, and that is just one of the most exceptional stages in terms of acoustics and vibe. And one day at the very end of the course, um, uh, everyone went off stage to have uh, like drinkies and nibblies and stuff like that. And I was like, I, I'm not interested in that. So I ducked out and ran back down to the stage and it would have been 1030 at night. It was minus four and the city was quiet, but all the lights were still on. And I just stood there and just talked and did some monologues and stuff like that. And just being in that space and experiencing the, it's interesting because it was freezing cold, but it was so warm. Yeah. And that, that is my favorite thing is just being alone in a theater and just letting it soak into me. And then have a photographer go click. Yes, exactly. I mean, to that moment. Do, you, do you know what's really interesting? <laughs> I did a show at the Hayes uh, in two, 2018 um, and I was the photographer. Um, wow. So I, I did the production shots. And so I'm not in them. <laughs> I also oh, did all the promo right. shots, and I'm not in them. Right. <laughs> so. Oh, that, yeah, was so. that aspects aspects of love? It was aspects of love. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I thought you were saying that you actually played a photographer in the in the narrative, but you were the photographer no, I, and I the was actor. Literally the, yeah, I was literally one of the actors and the production photographer. I did the rehearsal photography. I did the the promotion photography and the production photography. And um, it's 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 such a weird thing to be like, all right, guys, can you just close together? I know I'm meant to be standing there, but can you just move together a bit so it doesn't look like there's a massive gap in the stage? You need a self timer. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe that's the next thing I'll invest in a remote, <laughs> so I can just click flashbang wallop. Yeah, yeah exactly. David Hurley, thank you so much. That's that's been a fascinating conversation about photography and uh, and your life in art. Um, I've really appreciated yes. it. No, thank you very much, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And and you've got a website, haven't you? In case anybody wants to uh, have their ten by eight done. I do. It's just a very simple davidhooley.com. Dot com. Exactly. Coming very simple, very easily. Coming. Yeah, coming to a theatre near you. <laughs> coming, Thanks, you know. Dave. <laughs> no, my pleasure, mate. If you'd like to know more about production photography or headshots, you can access David at www.davidhooley.com. Thanks to David for sharing that insight today, another facet of our industry keenly explored through the Stages podcast. Thanks for joining us in this episode. Please check out all of the episodes featured in the podcast since 2018 by visiting our website, www.stagespodcast.com.au. And don't forget, you can follow us on our socials at Instagram and Facebook. I'm Peter Ayers. Keep well, keep warm. Please stay safe, and I'll catch you next time.